This is Sermons by the Park from Union Congregational Church in East Walpole, Massachusetts. I'm Pastor Aaron Shepherd, and I want to thank you for listening and taking the time to hear the message and the good news of Jesus Christ that we have to offer here at Union. Our current sermon series is called Courageous because faith in Jesus is not simply about what we believe, but about putting those beliefs into action. And that takes courage. Here's this week's message. The first scripture reading this morning is from the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 65, verses 1 through 6. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. Let's listen for God's word for us today. The Lord says, I was ready to respond, but no one asked for help. I was ready to be found, but no one was looking for me. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation that did not call my name. All day long I opened my arms to a rebellious people, but they follow their own evil paths and their own crooked schemes. All day long they insult me to my face by worshiping idols in their sacred gardens, they burn incense on pagan altars. At night, they go out among the graves, worshiping the dead. They eat the flesh of pigs and make stews with other forbidden foods. Yet they say to each other, don't come too close or you will be defile me. I am holier than you. These people are a stench in my nostrils, an acrid smell that never goes away. Look, my decree is written out in front of me. I will not stand silent. I will repay them in full. Yes, I will repay them. May God add a blessing to the reading and hearing of this word. Our second scripture reading this morning comes to us from the Gospel according to Mark, 12th chapter, verses 41 through 44. Let's continue to listen for God's word for us here today. Then Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and watched the crowd putting money into the treasury. Many rich people came and put in large sums. Then a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which are worth about a penny. Then Jesus called his disciples. He said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury, for all of them have contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. This, too, is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We join me now in a moment of prayer. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, we ask that you would speak now. For your people are gathered here in your house today to hear your word. Give me clarity of speech and vitality of diction so that your word may come alive in my words. I pray that the meditations of all of our hearts here may be found acceptable and pleasing in your sight and that even in your hardest of teachings, God, you would encourage us with the good news of the gospel. And if I have asked you for too little, please, God, do more in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, friends, for the past five weeks here, we have been uh, listening in the Word of God for the theme of courage. Courage, we have heard, is not the elimination of fear, but the capacity to overcome fear with action. Courage isn't a one-off thing. It's a feature of one's character. It's got to be practiced in ways large and small, whether that be the courage to try something new or the courage to forgive some old hurt. Courage involves both physical strenuousness and moral strenuousness, stealing one's spine to stand up for what is right. The courage the gospel calls for is not simply about thinking the right things, it is about living the right life. When we appreciate the need for a courageous character, we recognize at the same time our own limitations. We recognize the needs of a a community, that we all need to be included and encouraged by something bigger than ourselves. And in the end, what gives us that power, that power to overcome fear, is, I think, a clear and consistent sense of a mission, of a why, of a purpose for our actions, of what it is that God has put us on this earth to do. And all of that has built to this moment and this message, which is about giving. So have courage. I will confess to you that I have been preaching to myself a lot these last few weeks. I've been trying to find the words uh, to inspire myself to to face the hard words of God. I said last week that the teachings of Jesus are hard teachings. They're hard to teach. They're hard to obey. They're hard because they hit us where we are the most vulnerable. Jesus intentionally sought out the vulnerable and the marginalized so that he could heal them, but first he had to find them there in that lowly place. Jesus had to go and find blind Bartimaeus beside the Jericho Road. He had to find the disciples when they were bickering and squabbling about which one of them would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He had to call out and find the woman who had come and touched the hem of his garment and been healed. He had to find her so that she could speak before the crowd of the miracle he had done. He had to find us He had to come down from heaven and equality with God to find humankind in the midst of its brokenness. And that's where he meets us, friends. That's why we so often find Jesus not standing tall and going about our lives, but we find Jesus and we meet him when we are on our knees in prayer or maybe just flat on our backs in exhaustion. We meet Jesus at foot level. And today I may stand high in the pulpit. I may have all the trappings and and accoutrement of the religious professional, but I got to tell you that I am just as vulnerable as anyone, that I have been in low places too, that my faith has been shaken, that there have been seasons when I have not heeded the words that I preach from this pulpit. The truth is I have been one of those described by the prophet Isaiah in the word of God, who has not asked after God. Someone who has actively avoided seeking God, who who has focused too much on myself and my own plans than upon God's plans. Again, don't let the, the 
stole and the robe deceive you. Right before the passage from Mark we read, Jesus has a word for his disciples. He says, beware the people in long robes. Beware the people who pray long prayers for the sake of appearances. Beware, for they will receive the greater condemnation. And now, if I have the courage to confess that much about myself, I would hope that today you have the courage to search your own heart for the vulnerabilities that you may not want to admit exist there, but, but that are there to examine your character and your conscience closely so that you can see the places where courage is needed. That's what Jesus was doing in that story when he went and he sat down opposite the treasury. The treasury in those days was these large wooden boxes. They had metal funnels on the top of them. They were placed along the wall in the courtyard of the ancient temple in Jerusalem. And the text says that Jesus went and sat down opposite the treasury, and it says he watched. And, and the Greek here indicates that he wasn't just sort of glancing over. He wasn't kind of uh, 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 offering a plas- passing observation. He was watching closely. He was gazing at the people coming to deposit money into the treasury. And that's a weird thing to do, right? Right? Like, can you imagine if when the ushers came to pass the plates at the offering, instead of just passing it down the road, they came and stood in front of you while you filled out the check and wrote the amount in the box before you could hide it in the envelope so no one would know exactly what you're giving. Imagine that someone was just staring at you, watching just how much you've put in the plate. It'd be awkward, right? I usually, I, I like to sort of hide up here behind the pulpit for exactly that reason. I don't, that seems like an odd thing to do, but, but Jesus never shied away from those awkward things when he had a purpose for them. And again, his purpose here is that he was seeking out the vulnerable. He was seeking out the potential places where people could be led astray. He knew, he knew also that, that you can tell a lot more about a person from their bank statement or their credit card history than you can from their own description of themselves or their deeds in, in public The thing is, uh, Jesus understood that people can come to the temple, they can come to church, they can pray long prayers and sing hymns in full voice, they can appear to be wholly devoted to God and not really be. But Jesus also knew that the one thing you just cannot fake, the one thing that is real and authentic when it comes to the worship of God, is an offering. You can come to church and you can sing that old hymn, I, All to Jesus I Surrender. But if you surrender more to the cable company or the cell phone company than you do to the church, the song rings a little hollow. Say, all to Jesus I freely give, then, then why don't you surrender your Sunday? I'm not talking to you all here. I'm talking to the, the, the Watch Later people and the podcast people. Why can't you surrender a Sunday morning to Jesus? I surrender all. Why can't you surrender some of your time to come and clean the toilets 
instead of just complaining that the toilets are never clean? Why can't you come and hear the needs of your community and respond to them if you really mean to worship? Because the thing about worship is, like I was telling the boys, it's a sacrifice. The difference between someone giving a talk and some music being played and a worship service is sacrifice. Because worship is always an act of sacrifice. You don't have to be a close reader of the Bible to know that throughout the Bible, when people are worshiping God, they're doing so in a way that involves a sacrifice. If it doesn't cost you anything, it's not worship. Paul advised the early church at Rome to make all of life a living sacrifice, to honor God with worship, not just on Sundays, but at all times. And I think he may have had this moment when Jesus was talking to the disciples in mind when he made that suggestion. Because Jesus was there, he was watching the people closely, and he zeroes in as was his way, on the one person who's the most vulnerable, the one person who's most marginalized, the one in need. He saw all the rich folks making their grand donations in the treasury. Scholars suggest that it was practice, common practice in those days that people would come to the temple and they would hire musicians to come along with them so they could make a loud fanfare as they paraded up to the box so they could put their donation in, and they would, they would pour out these coffers full of coins into the metal funnel. It would make this tremendous racket, and everyone around would sort of ooh and ah and say under their breath, what an amazing and, and generous donation. And that would catch a lot of people's attention by design. Jesus saw that, but he also saw that something was missing. And then he saw this poor widow And when he heard those two pennies, ping, ping, into the funnel, it was like music to his ears. He said, now that, that's a sacrifice. That is worship. That is generosity. And so he called his disciples over. He says, says, come look at this, come look at this, check this out. And again, the fact that they weren't there with him tells you a little something about how weird this whole scene was. Uh, Jesus was, was there. He was there where he was meant to be, but the disciples, they were elsewhere. The prophet Isaiah describes how God is ready and waiting to be found, that God is in the midst of the world saying, here I am, here I am, but the world is too busy being worldly to notice. And perhaps that's what happened to the disciples. Perhaps they were caught up and all the fanfare of the rich folks coming. Or maybe they had more immediate concerns on their mind. You see, Jesus, just two days before, had had been in the temple flipping over tables of money changers and driving them from the temple. Jesus had just finished a lengthy, heated discussion with the religious authorities of his day over, you know, all sorts of matters of theology, and and they had been trying to, to trap him into a blasphemy, but he had artfully escaped that. Nevertheless, it was a tense moment. So you could imagine the disciples had some immediate concerns about Jesus and his safety. But there was Jesus watching what he was watching, experiencing what he was experiencing. But the disciples, they were distracted. It's really 
It's really easy, I think, today to find ways and reasons to distract ourselves from the things that actually matter in our lives. We live in an attentional economy, this idea that our attention is is a commodity that is a scarce resource, that we have to choose where it goes, and indeed that, that a lot of money is to be made by gathering the attention of people. But the truth is, just like our money, if, if you show me what you pay attention to, you're showing me a lot about yourself. Attention like money is something that cannot be faked. So Jesus, Jesus invites us to direct our attention away from worldly things in this moment. Jesus calls us over and says, look at this. He invites us to be otherwise being wise to the others of society. It's a good way to catch a glimpse of the kingdom of God. Jesus tells his disciples, this poor widow's offering, it's more valuable than those of all these rich folks. And again, on the face of it, it's sort of a weird thing to say. In fact, it's a pretty ridiculous thing to say. They would have said something like, didn't you hear all the coins going into the treasury over there? Two little pennies is not worth more. It seems like Jesus is just your classic itinerant preacher. He doesn't understand anything about money. He clearly doesn't get it. But Jesus did get money. Jesus talked about money all the time. We may not talk about it all the time in church, but Jesus always had it on his mind. In fact, one of his most famous parables is about a wealthy landowner who entrusts uh, some money to three different ser- servants and then goes away. And two of these servants choose to use that money as, as seed money. They make investments and, and they grow the principle so that when the landowner returns, the two servants can say, look, I, I took the money you gave me and I increased it. The third servant, however, for fear of losing the principle, took that money and buried it in the ground. And when the landowner returns, Uh, the servant could say, good news, I took care of your money, not a penny is missing, you are welcome. And the landowner says, uh, what a fool you are in how you have managed your money. And so he takes the servant's money and he divides it among the others. See, Jesus understood the principle and interest. He understood investment. But he also wanted to share a message about how you use and invest What he seems to be saying to his disciples is this poor woman's investment is greater than the others. Because out of her poverty, she gave all, while out of their abundance, they only gave some. This passage has, of course, long been fodder for stewardship season, and especially for ministers to encourage their parishioners to give generously to the church at year end. Uh, One might have heard a sermon over the years on this passage titled something like, Give Till It Hurts, or Give Till It's Gone, or something like that. Uh, And God will bless you in return. Anyone heard one of those sermons before? I sound a note of caution here, because I I think unlike so many of other Jesus' teachings, here... Jesus doesn't conclude what he says to his disciples by saying something like, go and do likewise. When a rich young man came uh, to Jesus and asked what he must do to inherit the kingdom of heaven, Jesus told him to go and sell 
all that he had. But he, again, there, didn't tell everyone else to go and do likewise. It would be a shame to tell a poor person to go and sell everything they have, to sacrifice all their life. Again, if we were in this situation and that poor widow was your grandmother, you wouldn't want her throwing her last two copper pennies into the treasury, would you? You wouldn't want her left destitute. Seems wrong a certain sort of way. But Jesus is not encouraging necessarily us to to give in that way. Because Jesus doesn't tell his disciples to, to do likewise. The poor widow, she comes and she goes, and Jesus never speaks to her or heals her or blesses her. We don't know anything about what happened after this moment to this woman. But Jesus uses this opportunity to tell the disciples something. It's an object lesson to teach them something he's been teaching them all along. And the key phrase here is the one at the very end where Jesus said she gave all she had to live on. In the original Greek, it says quite literally, all her living or all her livelihood she gave. There are two words for life or living in the New Testament that are used, zoe and bios. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, life there is zoe. Zoe seems to indicate to us in in the Greek the kind of existential condition. Today we would call it what it means to be, to exist, to live, to have meaning in the world. But here Jesus uses the other word. He uses the word bios, which, which scholars understand to refer to the material aspects of our lives. I mention this only because I don't want you to be confused about what Jesus values here, about what in life Jesus cares about. The truth is, Jesus offers life, zoe, and life abundant as a way of being in the world that is greater than our material concerns. The love of God is about something deeper than the material. It's about meaning and purpose and all these intangible graces that make life worth living. At the same time, though, you cannot separate that part of our lives from the bodies we live in and the peoples whose lives we live with and the times and the places that shape our days. The thing is, Jesus was concerned with all of it, with all of life. He saw all of life. He seeks out all of life. He saves all of life. When Jesus spoke of this woman giving all she had to live on, he was foretelling something that he had been telling his disciples all along, that he would give all he had to live on, but that in giving, he would open a way beyond death to life eternal, a way for all of us to travel with him. And it is that allness that is both the the great gift and the great challenge of faith. It's why it's best to describe this courageous giving of all of our lives as a costly sacrifice. As I was thinking about the title of this sermon, which I chose many weeks ago, uh, I, I, I wanted to title it Courageous Giving because that is indeed what it means to have all of your life given away. But if courageous giving is also a costly sacrifice, I, I wanted to title the sermon The Cost of Living. In the United Kingdom, more so in the United States, there's this phrase, cost of living crisis, 
that appears in a lot of headlines. It's been sort of the, the, uh, uh, a constant thing there for the last couple of years. Of course, we're aware of a kind of cost of living crisis here in the United States as well. The International Monetary Fund released a report this year uh, for 2023 titled The Cost of Living Crisis. And in it, they, they describe, the economists at the IMF uh, describe how the cost of basic needs like food and fuel and housing have all gone up uh, in the last few years, right? That everything is more expensive. You are not crazy. Everything is getting more expensive, right? Um, and you, you know, you don't need the IMF to tell you that. You experience it in your own household. I know we do in our household every time we go to the grocery store. There is a cost of living crisis. Things seem to be costing us more and more and more. And that is a problem that is, is about the cost of our bios life, right? The ecosystem, the habitat, the materiality of our lives that we create for ourselves, that we use money to purchase, the houses we live in, the food that we eat, and the substances we use to solve our pain, the distractions we use to numb our spiritual pain. But in our concern about the cost of this life, I think that we are also falling into the trap of ignoring the larger and more abundant life to which Christ is calling us even now. And that the cost of our living and our material world and our orientation towards these worldly things comes at the cost of our living in Christ. And so the cost of that kind of living is a kind of courageous gift, not just of some portion of our surplus, but of our very selves. The thing is, many people treat giving to God, whether that be time or money, almost as though it's a kind of uh, tip for the waiter, right? After all of my needs are met, after I have paid for all of the services, I'll, I'll add a little on top. Of course, ironically, in our time, tipping has become uh, an even more prevalent practice, one that seems, uh, some may say, uh, we're coming to resent a little bit. I mean, you can tip on just about anything these days. It seems like it's gotten a little bit out of hand. I saw a, a comedian I enjoy who made a video. Uh, his name's Charlie Barons, and he plays a priest, and he's marrying two people. And he asks, you know, one, will you take this person to be your spouse? Will you take this person to be your spouse? And then he says, I just have one more question for you. <laughs> one article I read said that the proliferation of all of this tipping is one of the things that's contributing to the increased cost of living these days, that things we used to just, basic services we used to just pay for, now require a tip on top of them. And and all of us, you know, we, we tend to pay it, right? Because we're paying for the same thing, but out of shame or guilt or embarrassment because you don't want to be the one person who hits no tip on there, you pay it anyway. And I think, again, if we think about giving to God and giving to the church as being like a tip, then that's where you get to this place of guilt and shame, of giving till it hurts, of making it this painful obligation that you have to endure, that we can roll our eyes at it. I think too many of us treat giving of ourselves to God like it's a tip. It's something that we have to do out of shame or guilt or embarrassment. And so many of us, myself included, we've convinced ourselves that, that the thing is we can't afford that anymore. 
Those who tipped richly into the treasury of the temple believed that they were entitled to the abundant blessings that they had received. But the poor widow knew the gospel truth, the gospel truth that stretched all the way back to her ancestor Abraham, who God had said was a blessed to be a blessing so that the people who would come from him would be a blessing to all nations of the world. Though Jesus had all power and authority in heaven and on earth, he courageously chose not to give just his miracles and his teachings, but his whole life to the world. Because again, he knew that same truth, that it is more blessed to give than to receive. And again, it cost him. It cost him everything. The cross is a profound sacrifice. It was Jesus's cost of living crisis. But he spent it all so that we could have it all. And we can. That's the thing. God is, God is here in our midst saying, here I am. Here I am. While you're busy running around following the ways of the world, while you're busy spending in places that will return no investment, you've got to bury your heart and your life in Christ. Because that's an investment that will yield a great and eternal return. If we can just have the courage, have the courage to embrace the value of that gift, then, then it makes it easier to give of ourselves. And not just to give a portion, but to give all. When we, when we can do that, when we can accurately assess the true nature of our need, when we can really count the cost of living as we do and of the great value that comes to us if we live in Christ, then, then we can know, we can be assured that this gift is not in vain. We can know how extravagantly and courageously we can give to God. And so today, rather than ending uh, my sermon by holding this up and passing the plate, I want to end with a prayer. Uh, this comes to us from um, a Kate Bowler, um, and it's uh, from a book of blessings called The Lives We Actually Have. This prayer is called For Courage When You Don't Feel Very Brave. Let us pray. God, I have no idea what courage is or how to muster it, but I know I need it. Fear is taking up too much space, and I have so little bandwidth left. God, if courage is a gift, please give it. And if it is a thing for me to learn, then show me how. For blessed are the brave, those who perform big, courageous acts of sacrifice, those who move toward fear and danger so the rest of us feel a little more safe. May we also learn bravery in small acts of great love. We who grieve, even if we feel like we're doing it all wrong. We who have received the bad news and take the next right step toward what must be done. We who sit in the shards of a life that has come undone. We who hold one another's hands on their hardest days. We who serve and pour out and keep loving no matter the cost. We who live still, brave and scared, all at the same time. 
Perhaps fear is not something to be vanquished, but rather that strange friend who tells us who we really love and what we really can't live without. And so bless us, God, in our fear, in our shaky hope, because brave looks like that too sometimes. Amen. Thank you for listening. I hope that this week's message has been a blessing to you. It has been a blessing to share it with you. To learn more about Union, you can visit our website, churchbythepark.org, or you can follow us on social media by looking for at Church by the Park. Our theme music is by Anno Domini Beats. Until next time, may God's grace and peace.